Dear friends, uh, we continue this morning our studies, and I just want to say to those of you who uh, maybe uh, come from a summer of vacation, it's really nice to see all of you here. Thank you for coming back to us. It's good to be together with you to see some new faces, but also those faces that we haven't seen for a while. I hope you enjoyed your uh, weekends and your days, uh, maybe in a cottage or by a lake or by a river or just in a trailer and uh, enjoying this beautiful uh, summer that we had. And as we come back, um, we welcome all of you. It's good to be with you here. And for those of you who are visitors, we are so glad that you are under us, I mean, w- with us. We are um, studying a topic, um, and today is the last sermon on the topic. It is called Under Pressure, Under Pressure. And it's basically um, a sermon series on the first letter of Peter, First Peter. And today is the last chapter 5, and we look at this topic, how to stand against Satan. How to stand against Satan. You see, we live in a world, we live in a world of Harry Potter, right? If you look left and right, this is one of the most popular books, movies, whatever. And we live in this world, the world that plays with powers, with the occult, with magic. We live in a world in which we have the world of twilight, right? The world of twilight, and it's okay to to dabble in those things. By the way, I'm from Romania, so I know vampires from Transylvania. I grew up in Transylvania. I have some teeth. uh, I still try to brush them with blood, you know, but I know. (laughs) I'm just kidding, but we live in this world, you see? I mean, it's a world that we pump up, and sometimes we make things like this look so friendly, like... Like in the Wizard of Oz, you know, we make the witch look so friendly or, I mean, just a little bit angry, but, you know, not. And then we even talk about the good witch, you know, remember that movie? The good witch, you know, there are witches that do good and stuff like that. We dabble into all of these things. And Pastor Ron is going to talk to us a few, few weeks down the road about this world of the occult. But this morning, I want to say that Peter tells us about this powerful enemy, Satan. And I want you to follow with me, with me, just follow Peter. And this is how he ends his, um, his first uh, letter, First Peter. He says in verse 6 of chapter 5, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. And all God's people say, Amen. What a powerful ending, you know. What a powerful ending. I don't have the pictures, but I'm sure you remember the Narnia, right? Who wrote Narnia? C.S. Lewis. Now, do you know another book that he wrote about evil? What was that? Yeah, that, that. What's that? Screwtape Letters, right? Yeah, Screwtape Letters. In that, in that book, basically, is a book that C.S. Lewis 
wrote, and it's a book about two demons. One that is an experienced old demon mentoring and teaching a younger one how to <coughs> basically deceive us and kill our faith, destroy us, devour us completely. And he basically is talking to a younger guy who needs to learn all the tricks that throughout the century have proven, have been proven that they work. They can destroy us. But in terms of looking at the spiritual power, C.S. Lewis says there are two opposite mistakes, opposite position, but they are both wrong. And one, on one hand, I say, there is superstition, he calls which is an over-belief in the devil. On the one side, he says, we are so superstitious that you hear people that say, well, everything that happens is from the devil. If something happens in the house, well, we have to sprinkle holy water. If, if somebody is you know, just doing a mistake or something like that, we say, well, we have to exorcise that person. There is an overemphasis on the devil. And we see the devil, and there is not much left for us humans. Everything is blamed on that. Right? We can say, well, the devil made me do it. You, know, you think that that's, that's a uh, cap out, you know? So this is on the, the, the one side, is an over-belief in the devil and in his power. On the other hand, C.S. Lewis said, there is another error, is on the opposite side, and is the same error. It's a wrong position. It's called sublition, 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 under-belief. You, you think that the world is just what you see. You know, if somebody doesn't have food, if you give them food, you solve the problem. If somebody doesn't have a job, you give them job, and the society will be nice. If there is no safety, you just increase the police force, and you bring safety. Well, let me tell you. I mean, I grew up in a, in a society that was safe. If something happened on my street, I saw every night, 8 o'clock, policemen. In fact, when I came from church at night, the policemen will just come into the tram. We had a tram. We went home with big German shepherd dogs with AK-47 fully loaded, fully loaded, I'm not kidding. And every night in front of my window where I lived in an apartment flat, I would see people dragged from a restaurant. We didn't have many restaurants, by the way. There was the only one in my neighborhood, which was a pretty big neighborhood. But they will be dragged out, taken into a small room, and they will just be the whatever out of them, you know? It was pretty safe. Do you think it was a society without problems? You can put as many police on the street. Do you think that we were a society? In my country, I grew up in a country that says zero unemployment. Everybody had a job. It was by law, decreed. Everybody has a job. If you don't have a job, you are in jail. What do you want? You choose. What do you think? You think that that solved our problems? There is more to the human problems that meets the eye. We go to a community and we say, well, we'll just build more schools because if they have more education then the problems are solved. Well, I grew up with free education, free health care, clean water, police on the street, like I said. If somebody happened into my neighborhood, they will know five people who could have done it. And in five minutes, they will figure out who did it. But I still walked out in fear. I knew the bad guys, and I got sometimes punched or slapped on my face or... But what I'm trying to say is there's no, there's no social solution to our problems that does not involve something deeper than what can see the eye. If somebody is naked, you can clothe them. 
but you don't solve all the problems of the society by giving them food. You see, somebody studied and he said, you must recognize there is always a demonological dimension, which is a spiritual evil dimension to our problems. With prayer, with Christ's blood, with the Holy Spirit, and I will say with the scriptures, those are the only way you can tackle even the social problems of a particular troubled neighborhood. And a few weeks ago you heard, uh, you know, maybe you remember um, Tad Winkle was here talking about John Perkins. He's the Christian development icon in our country and basically around the world. And what is he doing? Developing Christian communities. Develop. He's also planting a church. He's planting churches. In, this is in West Jackson. It's a place where they say, if you, if you have any money, you, you leave West Jackson. If you want to leave, you don't even walk through West Jackson in Mississippi. I had a neighborhood like that in my country too. Even the police didn't go in. Well, yeah, it was known like that, like West Jackson. So Peter says, you know, there is more to our problems that meets the eye. There's a deeper issue. There is deeper issue. There is an issue of our mind, of our hearts, of our spirits, because we are more than just flesh and blood. So the first three things Peter tells us, and the first thing he says, you have an enemy. Don't doubt about it. Don't think that you are here, you are in peace, in safety, you know, there's nobody after you right now. But he says, you have an enemy. Your life is here like a blink of an eye. But your life continues in eternity. And the enemy wants to destroy you here and destroy your hope in God who can take you to the after, through, through the death in the afterlife. The enemy wants to break your faith in God. And in fact, many places in the Bible says, he will try to even snatch out of God's kingdom even those who are elect, destroy their faith. And that's the purpose of the enemy. The devil is a powerful spiritual being. You don't see him necessarily on the streets or in your home or in your heart. Can you see your thoughts? The same thing with the enemy. He is spiritual. You don't see him, but he is powerful. Now, he's limited, and in fact, in Genesis chapter 3, in, in fact, the Old Testament doesn't talk too much about the devil, you know, just a few times, few times. One is in, in Genesis, he comes like a serpent, and he tempts Adam and Eve, and the point there is, he says, no, God is not telling you that. That's a lie. God wasn't telling you really that. You, didn't, you misunderstood him. And then to Job, he comes and he says, in the book of Job, in the first chapter, he says, no, I was, uh, you know, he comes into God's presence where God is gathered with his sons and says, where have you been, Satan? And, and Satan says, well, Lord, uh, I, I'm just wandering on earth. And uh, uh, the, then the Lord says, have you seen my, my servant Job? He worships at hillside. Have you seen him? He's so faithful. He, he gives his heart to the church and to my kingdom. He worships me with his family. He's so devoted. He was a deacon, elder, chapel leader, service leader, volunteer in the nursery, in the small, whatever, little pebbles, big pebbles, rocks, whatever. <laughs> right? He was involved in Alpha. He brought people to Christ. And the devil says, you know what? You know why he's doing that thing? Because you blessed him. Let me touch his wealth and you'll see that he will curse you. And the Lord says, okay, go try it. And he goes and takes everything, takes his family, the ten kids are dying, takes his wealth. And then he's still faithful. And, the, and the Satan comes back and says, well, let me touch him. If I touch him, if I let the knife go right to the bone, you will see that he will deny you and curse you. And the Lord says, you can touch his flesh, but don't take his life. 
Make sure you spare his life. His life is mine. You cannot touch him in taking his life. And then he starts to be living basically on the ash, you know, the, uh, on, on the heap of trash outside the city and scratching all his boils. And, and his wife even comes and has, uh, tells him, curse the Lord, curse the Lord, and you, he will kill you. And said, no, because blessed be the name of the Lord. He gave and he takes away. He gives to me everything, but he takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's why we sometimes sing. But that's a powerful, that's a song that comes from the midst of suffering. It's a battle with Satan. And what was Satan trying to do with, with Job? To separate him from his faith in God. He curses the day he was born. He said, I, I wish I wouldn't be born. And sometimes we do that when we are under pressure. But he never curses God. He is still faithful. And God works powerfully in his life. In the New Testament, we have way more teachings about the devil and his, his trickery. Remember, in Matthew chapter 4, he comes at the end of 40 days of prayer and fasting for Jesus. And it's, there is his name, the devil, tempts him. And then it says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the true son of God, look at these stones. Do you see these stones? You are hungry. Just think about it and say and they will become loaves of bread and you can eat and the people will see and they will follow you and in fact if you jump off the roof of the temple and you are starting to flow because do you believe the psalm if you believe what the psalm says he will hold your feet and you will never break your leg because he will hold on the wings of eagles and then what, what, what do you see all of these kingdoms of the world the devil says if you just take a knee and bow, bow before me everything is yours and what is Jesus saying? He says, get away from me. Behind me, Satan. Because it is written, and every time he says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and praise and glorify him. Only him. Nobody else forever. Worship the Lord your God. Worship the Lord your God. I like how Paul also takes the same idea. And basically, Paul tells us something very powerful. And this is what he tells us in Ephesians. He says, for our struggle in this world is not against flesh, against flesh and body. It's not, it's not just, just to give people what they need physically, right? It's not just a fight for resources, although sometimes it looks like that. You know, we just fight for, you know, who has the most, uh, you know, gold mines or the most uh, nuclear weapons and, uh, you know, whatever, warheads. But look and just pay attention to this. Look what Paul says, but against the rulers, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces. They are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul says, like Peter, there is an enemy. And the enemy is not here on earth. We battle here, yes, and we can die here crucified or maybe martyred for our faith. But he says the battle is not among us. There is a higher battle at a higher level, in the spiritual, in the heavenly realms. And he basically, Paul says, against those rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces, the battle in the end is spiritual. The battle in the end is spiritual. One of the guys who studied the demonic influence in the, the New Testament, he said this, a survey of the results of demonic influence in the New Testament will indicate certain characteristics which a self-controlled and alert Christian, that's what Peter tells us, be self-alert, be self-controlled and alert, of sober mind. 
may suspect to be caused at least in part by the devil or demons. At least in part by the devil or demons. If you look in the scriptures, you know, there are some that are very clear cases, demonic possession. But then demonic influences. And you can look, they are not possessed. You know, it's very easy, it's easier to, to spot somebody who makes bubbles, you know, and stuff like that. And is stronger than usual and makes voices and, you know. Then you go to the, to the side of exorcism. But there also that's that very fine line where we blend our own selfish desires with the desires of the devil. And his tail is kind of involved in our lives. And he influences. So there are certain characteristics. And if you study those things in the New Testament, then you will come to this conclusion. These are some characteristics. Bizarre or violently irrational evil behavior. Especially in opposition to the gospel or to the Christians. Malicious slander. Malicious slander and falsehood in speech. Sometimes you meet people and the, the first thing they, they say about somebody else is how bad they are, right? They feel the need to slander. Well, there is maybe some insecurity or fear there. But there is also something from the devil. Increasing bondage to self-destructive behavior. I've seen this all over the place, including in my family. Self-destructing behavior. Stubborn advocacy of false doctrine. The sudden and unexplained onslaughts of emotions such as fear, hatred, depression, violent anger. All of these things are indications that there is at least in part a demonic influence in somebody's life. In my father's life, who was an alcoholic, even today he is, but he cannot drink anymore because of his weak body. I can tell you I've seen that demonic, that demonic manifestation, increasing bondage to self-destructive behavior. Sometimes he will go for weeks and he was like a zombie. I never recognized him. He will come home all covered in dust or sometimes the police will bring him home because he wasn't able to even stand on his feet. I know what it means to be addicted to things. I've seen it. But sometimes the devil is also using those addictions to hold us captive, to hold us captive, to influence us, to destroy us. He is like that lion, lion, roaring, roaring lion. And the first thing that Peter says then is, you have an enemy. This is an enemy that is real. You have to recognize this. It's an enemy that you all, you all of you have, and I have it too. The devil, the second thing is the devil is after you. This enemy is not just there. He's after you. He's after me and after you, after each and every one of us. He's not in need of rest. He's not in need of ideas. He has enough ideas, enough tricks, enough schemes that he can knock you out. Be alert, Peter says, and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls aloud like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And you can hear his roar. Maybe you are in an office, and you work at, or maybe at your workplace, and you just hear that maybe there will be again layoffs. That fear comes into. Somebody said, I only joked that there will be some layoffs. And one of the person couldn't stand. And in a few weeks, he, be, he could not take out this idea that I just joked. And in a few weeks, he left the company. And he was so depressed because he felt he's going to be fired. But you, you can see the roaring in the office. There's so much gossip in the office, right? There's so much backbiting, backstabbing. 
There's so many alliances in, in offices that you feel it's not healthy. You see people that, that don't work as hard as you being promoted, being rewarded, and you say, what's going on? And often when, you, we look, when we look for a job, we can also despair because there's no place. You know, there are so many people today looking for jobs and they are underemployed. You can hear the roaring in the markets. The markets are based on fear, right, and hope. The bears, the bulls and the bears, right? And they say, well, if we attack Syria, the market is going to tank again. I, I don't know what's going to happen, but the idea is we can hear. We, you know, we, we put all of our investments in one thing, maybe in a retirement account, and it, it tanks. You know, there are so many roaring things that we say, I'm going to lose all my financial security. I'm going to lose all my family's future, right? Or my own future. Or maybe you have a family and you say, what if my kids, you know, you are scared. What if my kids will get in and, and be killed in this horrible accident? What if they will become followers of Satan? They will turn away from the church and follow Satan. And I've invested so much in their lives, in their education, nurturing them, giving them a Christian influence and a Christian mentoring and a Christian teaching. And yet they follow Satan. What if they will turn out bad? What if my spouse is dis has died, you know? And the devil uses the fact that you are grieving, you know, to crush you, to even make you think that God has abandoned you. And even in the church, you know, even in the church, if you read the Screwtape's letter, there are so many techniques that the devil uses for us to lose. You know, sometimes we, we can, we, we stay in the church, and instead of focusing on God, we look at, and we say, why is that paint yellow there? Why is not blue and you know, why is that person having hair, the hair dyed or, what, you know, color of the shirt or earrings or whatever? And the little demon, demon receives all of this instruction, how to distract us, how to make us focus on other things instead of God when we worship. And even to think that all of this is a fairy tale, you know, the church, Christianity, Jesus, all is just a fairy tale, you know. There's nothing true about it because God has abandoned you. You don't have a job or you're going to be fired or maybe your kids have turned out, uh, you know, turned out bad or something like that. And in, if you go to the hospital, it's also roaring like that. You, know, you never know if you come out alive, right? Or maybe you battle with an illness that nobody else knows what to do with it. And, and you say, what is God, God, God doing? Did he abandon me? Or maybe you think that uh, you are terrified because of the news. You, know? you, you hear that there was robbery in the neighborhood and you say, well, tonight... I'm going to just lock all of the doors and just sleep maybe with the lights on and with the shotgun, you know, by my bed because <laughs> you never know it's going to break in. I mean, we can live in so many fears. And the devil can put so many fears and so many roarings. And we, have, we, we hear these roarings in our world. And they are, you know, the kids, they see so many monsters under the bed. But, but the truth is that the devil is after us. One way or another, he's going to hit us. And he knows Exactly. His method basically is to hit us in the weakest spot. And his method is to use our sin, our sin. And he knows exactly the sin that when we, once we sin, basically, we go from under God's authority, under his authority. When we give up to sin, he can have something to work on us. You know, imagine that this piano is us, right? He's a Christian. And I am the devil, right? So the devil comes and says, well, I'm going to play, uh, I'm just going to play with you, you know. And if you, going, you know, if you just taps, you know, there's no music. Because if you think of the strings of the piano, just think that the strings is our sins. If there are no sins, he can push the, the keys, but there's no sound. But once we start to sin, we give him something to play with. And then he starts to play with one note, right? And more sins. And then he can even go further. 
And that's what our sin does, builds up all of those strings. And he can play us the way he wants. Somebody said it's, it's not only like strings, it's, it's almost like a handle on us. Uh, the youth group, they will have the, the mud ball, you know, very recently. And in the mud ball, it's very hard to grab your opponent or to grab a ball because everything is soiled, everything is in grease and stuff like that, you know. So the, the point there is to be able to, to kind of conquer that, you know, barrier of everything being so slicky and so um, slippery. But our sin basically puts a handle on us and he can just tie us, crucify us, hold us, because the sin gives him that power. And this is what John says. We know that we are children of God, but the whole world is under the control of the evil one. How is the world under the control? of By their sin, by our sin. You see, the devil's matter is to use our sins. And Peter mentions two of them. In fact, Peter says, the first one is pride. It's so easy to detect pride in others. It's so hard to detect it in us, right? You can see a proudful person, but you can hardly see pride in your own heart. And I can, I can tell you, unless we are very honest with somebody and say, do you see pride in my heart? It's, we are self-deceiving ourselves many times. We can live with proud hearts. It's very hard then to work with somebody who is proud because you de- we are easy to detect them, but also to, because they have the right ideas, right? The, you have to follow them. You have to let them kind of all the time win. And there's nothing you can say because it's about me, me, my ideas, uh, my wisdom, I know better, and is about me being the focus of the attention. Me, 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 me. One thing that I want to say is that pride is in a way anti-grace. You know, if you think about the grace of Christ, what is the grace of Christ saying to us as person? Is basically saying, you can do nothing to save yourself. No matter how good you are, no matter how faithful you are, you can do nothing to save yourself. You need the grace of Christ. So basically, you tell somebody who is in the kingdom of darkness, darkness, sinning, you say, you need somebody, a higher power, to free you from all of your selfish, prideful attitudes and to move you in the kingdom of light. And if you say to somebody, well, what is the gospel? Or even the, the, the old thing, you know, the old-fashioned you know, story is, well, the gospel is God coming and offering us salvation in Christ Jesus. He takes away all your sins so that you can have the fellowship with God now in this life and in the next life to come, in the life to come. If you say that to somebody today, that's very, they're going to have two ways. One is saying, I don't need that. I'm too good. I don't need the gospel. And second, they might say, I'm not worthy of God's grace. So pride is anti-grace. I, I just want to say that we as a church, we did try to penetrate the, the, the enemy's territory when we did um, this project, Philip, in May. You know, we mailed so many uh, booklets with God's word to people. And what we did is we told them, we don't even know how many will read it or something. We only know that we mailed this many. And we prayed for them. That's a, that's a zip code that we pray for. And then 50 of them replied, and we sent them the second mailing, you know. And it was a card called... Um, guide to happiness and five of them asked for youth materials five for children and about 10 10 additional 10 to those 50 called and said well i just need prayers i am in a situation i need some help i need somebody to visit me or i need to stop by the church but what we did basically with that we stepped into the enemy territory and said you have the word of god that's what the first book is freedom from fear let the word of god work in you freedom from fear it's very it's very anti 
grace, the attitude of pride, because it's so easy to fall into either to see yourself too good, to need God's grace, or to see yourself too bad, that God will not accept you. But even when you see yourself too bad, somebody said, it's still a form of pride. Because you say, I am too bad, I need to raise myself to the par, and then God will accept me. And when we do Alpha, for example, you know, that's what we do this coming Tuesday. And I just took a picture in the morning. It's two days and nine hours left, right, on the countdown. But that's what we basically say to the people. Don't be so proud. Well, we say it very nicely, but the, the idea is the same thing. Think about God's grace. You need God's grace. You may look nice on the outside, but the devil is after you. And unless you have God's grace, you will never be free. And the same thing, we want you know, people to invite them, maybe the fall kickoff, and we need some volunteers for that too. But we also need you to talk about maybe friends that will not come to church, but they will come to that picnic. You know, just invite them and see how they respond. The pride is the first sin. We don't need God's grace. It's anti-grace. But the second one is anxiety and fear. And we don't think of this. But in Revelation 21, John basically, basically tells us that the cowards, the fearful one, are together with the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and the liars. They will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. We never think that fear and anxiety is a sin. We say, well, it just comes so natural to me. And to me, it comes natural too, but it is a sin. And Peter says, cast all of your fears on him, on God. Why? Because he cares for you. Only God can care for you and can take all of that fear and anxiety. Have you heard of the story of the coward mother? It's a story that one pastor uh, read in a, in, a, in a paper in Virginia. And it, and it went like this. There was a good mother a lady who lived on a street and a uh, good spouse and, uh, and everybody appreciated her. And one day the pastor comes to her and says, would you come with me to spread and, and just call people on your street and on, on our neighborhoods. Just tell them to come to church and hear God's word. But she said, well, no, no, no. What if I, I offend them? You know, I'm not, I'm not an extrovert. I, that, you know, I'm so, uh, you know, I don't want them to be bothered. You know, they'll, they'll think that, what, what would they think of me, right? And then, and then her oldest son was starting to very be, be very wild and disobedient. And then the friend said, you know, you're going to lay down hard the law on him, right? Well, um, you know, what if he is going to tell me bad words, you know, and just call me names? And, and then she had a 15-year-old daughter who was uh, coming later and later at home, like 3 o'clock in the morning. And she said, well, I cannot confront her, you know, because what if she's going to just run from home, you know, and what, what would I do then, you know? So uh, uh, her neighbor down the road lost her husband, and he died suddenly, and she said, well, I don't know what to tell her. You know, I would like to get together and have coffee with her, but, but what if she asks me something that I don't know how to answer? You know, I don't know what to do with her. And the story goes that in time, the church died, the son went to jail, the daughter got pregnant, the neighbor took a full sleeping pills bo uh, bottle, and, and she committed suicide because nobody talked to her. And when she went to heaven... God didn't, you know, God didn't look so happy. And she said, well, I believed in you. And you see, I was a good person. Nobody was bothered. I mean, everybody on the street loved me. I didn't offend anyone. And, and the answer was, yeah, you did. You feared everybody else and their feelings and thoughts, but you never feared me. You fear what they will tell you, but you never thought of what I want you to do. You feared their feelings, but you never feared me. Anxiety is a sin. Can it be a sin that grabs us? 
And how is God responding to all of these things? Fear, pride, and anxiety. These are just two sins, but there are way more. But, to, you know, the cross is, is the solution. The cross, at the cross, this is what Paul says. We declare God's wisdom at the cross, a mystery that has been hidden. It's a mystery. Nobody at the cross figured things out, you know. Even the devil, his angels, all of the people that are evil, they were looking, and all of these powers and authorities of heaven, they thought, we are done with Christ. This is the Son of God, we kill him. But none of the rulers of this age, Paul says, understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord. Only after they crucified the Lord, they understood what they did, which is they opened a way for us to be free from sin. At the cross, all of our sins were nailed down. All of our strings were pulled out and put on Christ so that the devil cannot play us anymore. And Peter says, resist him, stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. You are not alone in your struggle. You may hear the devil roar and stuff like that, but he says he's not alone. Just look around. Just in this month of August, you know, Christians in Egypt, they have been targeted by supporters of the president, right? Only in August, 47 churches have been attacked by Muslim Brotherhood. 25 have been burned. Churches, little girls, 10 years old, coming from Sunday school and never making it home. Historical churches, historical sites. One of the churches, one of the churches that was burned was part of a monastery and was built 1,600 years ago. For 1,400 years, the prayers were without stop, in, without in, uh, ceasing, going on in that church. And they burned it down. Even bookstores, Christian bookstores, established for years and in peace. But you know what the Christians say? You may destroy our churches, but you cannot destroy our faith. The devil indeed is after us. And it may not be like that, but it's our family, our health. How can we win him? How can we win? We say, how can we win? I tried all my, my things. Well, the first thing that we can say from from Peter is run to the cross. Don't get in the ring. I like what the pastor said. Don't get in the ring with the devil. Punch for punch, throw for throw, he's going to knock you out. He's way more powerful than he was. So don't get in the ring alone. Run to the cross. Stay at the cross. There is no more power in, any, in, in this world. The nuclear power, everything you want, the, the, the aircraft carriers, whatever, they don't scare the devil, believe me. What you can scare the devil with is the blood of the cross. The blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. Run to the cross. Use the Bible verses from across the room. Don't get in the ring, but just throw these verses over the ropes and say to the devil, the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle is not mine. The battle belongs to the Lord. Sorry, it just goes wrong. But my God will supply all needs. Everything that you remember from the Bible, use them. The one in me is stronger than the one in the world. And use this word, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Maybe you don't remember anything to say from the Bible, but just say, devil, I hear you knock, but I'm not letting you in. I hear you knock, but I'm not going to let you in. Use the Bible. Use all of these things for the, for the devil. Make sure, make sure that you resist the devil and you stand firm in faith. And not only that, cast your anxiety on God in prayer. Somebody said, in fact, he is the pastor of the largest church in the world. And this is what he said. He said, every pastor, and that's to me, he said, every pastor should pray at least three hours a day and every church member at least one hour a day. Why? 
to have the victory, to cast all your anxiety in God, on God in prayer. Don't stand up from, the, from your knees until you have cast everything. Otherwise, you will be one of the victims of the enemy. Humble yourself before God. Humble yourself. Make sure that you know that under God's hand, mighty hand, you can stand humble. And just as Jesus was humble, you can conquer. You have an enemy, is Peter telling us, the devil is after you. But make sure that you know, in Jesus, you win. In Jesus, you win. You cannot stand alone against him. But if you come to the cross, and if you lay everything there on a daily basis, he can give you victory. And in the end, he will give you the crown of glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your hope that we have in the Jesus power and authority in our lives, in your word. And we ask that you will bless all of us with victory over the devil and help us to always run to the cross so that we can overcome. In the name of the Lord, we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and receive God's greeting? The, the Lord, God's blessing. The Lord who sends us into battle in his name, he sends us and blesses us. May the love of Jesus Christ the power that comes from the Father and the fellowship of the Spirit give you victory in this coming week against the, the, the enemy. Amen. You may go in peace.